I'm either no good for preaching right now or I'm all right for preaching. I'm not sure which it is. Aren't you glad he's alive today? Acts chapter 17 will be all over the chapter. In verses 22 through 33, Paul is about to preach what is admittedly, arguably, but I think one of the top three messages in the Bible not preached by Jesus. Now, obviously, Jesus is the greatest preacher, and we can't put anything up against his sermons, but... I mean, yeah, certainly Peter's sermon at Pentecost needs to be there. And though we don't have any record of what he said, Jonah's message, I mean, a whole city turned to, Christ, turned to God. So, I mean, you know, that's a pretty good message. But certainly this has to be in the top three, Paul's message on Mars Hill. We're not going to take a lot of time this morning to look at the message itself, But it is a masterful blend of apologetics, argument, and assertion. I mean, this is the kind of message that if you're a homiletic student, you study this message to see the right way to preach. There's a lot I could say. I could talk about it being a primer on sound homiletical theory and how well it's structured. But in short, can I just tell you this? It's a really, really good sermon. But its power is not found in Paul's intellect, although Paul had it. I think it's reasonable to conclude that Paul was one of the most intellectually dominant men of his day. This guy was smart. He, he, under, under Holy Spirit inspiration, he calls himself a Pharisee of Pharisees. That means that it's, it's likely that he committed the Torah to memory. That's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. I do good to remember people's phone numbers. I mean, he was, there's no question he was intelligent, but that's not what he used. Cleverness, novelty, that's not what he used. Can can I ask you to pray for me this morning? Because this is a super strong temptation for every preacher I know this morning. This is the biggest crowd we'll have all year. And there's this, there's this real sense of, man, I've got to hit a home run today. I have got to give the best first impression I, can, I possibly can. I've got to put something out there that makes these folks want to go. I, I may not see some of these folks ever again. Oh, man, the pressure's on, so my message has got to be clever. And it's got to be something that, that people have never thought of before. And it's got to be structured. And so, people just got to leave here and say, wow, what a message. But the reality of it is, that's not at all what we're after. What we need today is for everybody to leave this building today going, wow, what a Savior. That's what we need. The power of Paul's message or this message or any message can only be found in one profound truth, and it's this, that Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose again from the dead. Acts 17, verse number 18. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans of the Stoics encountered him, and some said, what will this babbler say? 
Others, some, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. Everything that we do here in our church or in your church in our lives as Christians depends upon that one profound truth. I'm going to heaven because Jesus rose from the dead. If I'm a good husband, it's because Jesus rose from the dead. If I'm a good father, it's because Jesus rose from the dead. If I'm a good worker, if I'm a good pastor, if I'm a good preacher, it can only be because Jesus rose from the dead. If I'm a good neighbor, it's because Jesus rose from the dead. If I'm a good citizen, it's because Jesus rose from the dead. If our church is what it ought to be, it's because Jesus rose from the dead. If our marriages are what they ought to be, it's because Jesus rose from the dead. If our relationship with our kids is what it ought to be, it's because Jesus rose from the dead. If America's got any hope at all, it'll be because Jesus rose from the dead. It all comes back to that. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 15. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. Now, verse 17 starts to sum it up. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, and ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. And so we see Paul in Athens a very cosmopolitan city. Athens was a city that many like it had already gone by the wayside, had already uh, fallen under Roman influence, but Athens maintained its, its, its Greekness. The Romans were so enamored with Greek thinking that they allowed Athens to rule itself freely by itself, and they maintained a lot of their Greek culture and were seen as this center of intellectual and philosophical learning. And, and Athens was a, was a, a booming city, and, and a lot was going on there. And you interject Paul. You put Paul in the middle of that, and something interesting happens. And so this morning, we're going to look at what he was used of God to do and glean some wonderful truths about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Father, help me. Keep me out of your way. And speak to us in a profound way and do whatever needs to be done. And may Jesus lift us up. For it's in, lift, may Jesus be lifted up. For it's in His name we pray. Amen. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. We we believe here that it's important to define our terms. Let me make sure and define this term for you. There's a difference between resurrection and revival, reanimation, reinvigoration, renewal. Other people had come back from the dead. Lazarus comes to mind, the son of the widow at Nain, a few people in the Old Testament, Jairus' daughter. But all of those folks died again. Jesus is the first one to return from the dead to never die again. 
That's what a resurrection is. A resurrection is to never die again. One day I'm going to preach a message on the Feast of the First Fruits. Jesus is the first fruit. See, well, can I give you the quick, the quick version? Basically, the priest would get the first fruits of grain, and he would wave them before the Lord as though to say, there's more coming and it's all yours. Jesus presented himself before the Lord to say, there's more coming and they're all yours. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, number one, I want you to know that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is universal as a cure. It is universal as a cure. Look at verse 18. Over 17. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons in the market daily with them that met with him. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans of the Stoics encountered him. I want you to notice the people with whom Paul is dealing. He's first of all dealing with the Jews. He's dealing with the old guard. He's dealing with the people that are deeply religious, though not necessarily saved. He's dealing with devout persons. They, they may not have held to uh, the religion of the Jews and certainly not to the faith of Christ, but, but they were devout in what they believed. Then you got the market goers. These are the people that are just in the market. That could be anybody. That could be the rich, the poor, the moral, the immoral, those held in high regard, those not held in high regard, all kinds of people in all the spectrums of morality, accomplishment. These are the market goers. But then he encounters the philosophers. Have you noticed that a lot of people tend to think of themselves as philosophers these days? See, by definition, a philosopher is supposed to be a lover of wisdom. Have you noticed that most philosophy today doesn't have any wisdom to it at all? But people imagine themselves as philosophers. In fact, they use a different word for it today. They're called influencers. I'll just say it. TikTok's one of the worst things to happen to this country in a long time. And while not all content on TikTok is is bad, we need to be real careful about how much time we let ourselves and our children spend on that foolishness. Philosophers and people, they're supposed to be pursuing the truth. But you know what I found is true for most people today, and it was true here. Some people are more interested in the pursuit than they are actually the truth. Because when they're presented with the truth, they don't want it. The Epicureans and the Stoics, these are not the only two groups of philosophers, but it's interesting. They represent two opposite ends of the, of the spectrum. Okay? If we were thinking politically, we, we would say this is like... Uh, um, I don't know, the Speaker of the House and AOC. They're on opposite ends right now, aren't they? You know, The Epicureans, they believe that if you want to find truth, you find it through experience. 
They, they talked a lot about balance, but in reality, they were all about pleasure. You need to feel everything you can, good and bad, if you're going to get truth. You've got to experience things. The Stoics were in the other direction. They believed reason was truth. They were pantheists. They, they talked a lot about self-control and discipline, but ultimately, if something didn't match up to their reason, then it must not be true. So basically, Paul has encountered a society that has everything there is to offer. Now, the question is, did he, did he give a different message to these different groups? Did he talk to the Epicureans one way, the Stoics another, the Jews? No. To all of these groups, the foundational truth that Paul opened with, his first salvo, if you would, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Where do we find ourselves today? We find ourselves in the midst of every viewpoint known to man and a few that can't be known to man. What is the cure for everyone? Jesus and his resurrection. I don't care what the philosophy is. I don't care what the perspective is, what the bias is. Jesus and his resurrection is the only thing that can fix what is wrong with anyone. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm all for programs that help people. I'm all for, I'm all for you know, things that, that, that deal with the immediate. But please understand, the only thing fixes America is Jesus and the resurrection. And the only hope that your family has is Jesus and the resurrection. The only hope that you have is Jesus and the resurrection. And if we, don't, if we leave that out, if that's not the preeminent thought and the preeminent truth that we present to this lost and dying world, then we might as well stop. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. You say, well, Andy, I've got a need. I've got a sin need. I've got, I've got something I need to work on. I'm saved, but I've got to work on it. Jesus' resurrection will fix it. You understand that you weren't just saved by resurrection power. You are kept by resurrection power, and you are guided in your life by resurrection power. It still works. What will cure your sin need? 1 Corinthians 15, 20. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Maybe you're here today and you're not saved. You've never trusted Christ as your Savior. Listen to me. I am not your enemy. I am your friend. And as your friend, I'm going to tell you the truth because you need to hear it. I want you to know something. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, you may not perceive this, but I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are here by divine appointment. God himself orchestrated that you be here to hear what his word has to say about your condition. And if you walk away from here lost without Jesus, you will do so at your own peril now and for eternity. And you do so by your own choice, having rejected what God has for you. I'm not saying I'm the voice of God. I'm saying this is the word of God. And God brought you here to hear this. Friend, if you've never trusted Christ, listen to me. Your biggest problem is not that you're downhearted, discouraged, depressed, deflated, destitute, dazed, or defeated. Your root problem is that you're dead. What? Listen to what Paul said in Ephesians 2.1. And you hath he quickened, made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. 
See, if we try to fix all kinds of fruit problems instead of dealing with the root problem, we're not going to get anywhere. The root problem, friend, if you're not saved, the root problem is you're dead in your trespasses and your sins. You're dead. It's been rightly said, Jesus did not come to make good men better or bad men good. He came to make dead men alive. And we find that power in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is universal as a cure. You know what else? The resurrection of Jesus Christ is unsettling to the carnal. The flesh can't deal with it. Verse 32. You know, Paul has preached this great message. And again, boy... I wish I had time to get into it, but, but, but what, a wonderful, what a wonderful opening. He says, for as I, verse 23, For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship him, declare I unto you. You don't know who he is, but I know him, and I want you to meet him. I want to declare him to you. And so he preaches this great message, not a long one, which makes it even greater, doesn't it? Verse 32, what was their hang-up? And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Others said, we'll hear thee again of this matter. They were with him right until he said, and this man died for your sins, was buried, and rose again. Whoa, hold on now. (laughs) That's impossible. And yet we serve a God who's clearly said on a number of occasions that with him nothing shall be impossible. Listen, friend, if Jesus can't rise from the dead, he can't do anything for you either. But if Jesus did rise from the dead, he can do anything for you. It all goes back to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You understand it's his resurrection that makes our faith exclusive. See, why is that unsettling to the carnal? Because our carnal man, our flesh, what what do we want to do? We want to do something to earn our place. In our thinking, you have to do something to be good enough to earn your reward. That's not at all how it works, friend. You can't do enough to be saved. You can't do enough to satisfy the perfect holiness of God. You can't. Salvation is not about doing and doing and doing and doing. And that goes against man's way of thinking. And that's why so many people don't trust Christ is because they can't believe that that's actually how it works. Jesus paid it all on that cross and ratified it when he rose from the dead. You don't have to do anything but believe. Oh, there's plenty we do in appreciation to him, to live for him after we're saved. But to be saved, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Amen. Well, I, I would, Andy, but I can't live up to it. Guess what? You're right. Yep. You can't live up to it. I'd have to turn over a new leaf. Well, apart from the power of the Holy Ghost, you can't. Paul said, in my flesh dwells no good thing. I'm not capable of being a good guy. So what's good about me? He who lives in me. 
that new nature that's been, rat- that's been quickened by the Spirit of God. That's the difference. And the carnal man doesn't like it because the carnal man wants to earn it. You know why? Because the carnal man wants the credit. But in my hand, no price I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Could my zeal, could my tears forever flow? Could my zeal no longer know? These for sins cannot atone. Thou must save, and thou alone. The carnal didn't like that. The resurrection, hold on now. That's impossible. Yeah, it is. You see, all other religions rely on frustrating work. We rely on a finished work. You try to listen, and we're even guilty of it within Christianity. We try to ascribe works that, 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 that go beyond the grace of God, and then we get frustrated when we can't live up to it. Yeah, we would get frustrated because you can't live up to it. I'm not saying Christians ought not live holy. You know me better than that, most of you. But I'm just telling you, if you're trying to do it in your flesh, it's not going to work, friend. It's not going to work. Paul said, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for their foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Our problems are fundamentally spiritual. Would you agree with that? Look at the world right now. You want to tell me that there's not spiritual forces at work? You want to tell me, and I'm not recommending you watch the news because I can't find much edifying about the news anymore. But you watch the news and tell me that what's happening just in this country isn't a spiritual problem. My goodness. Well, if we can just, if we can just get the right president in there, if we can get the right laws, I don't care who's in the Oval Office. I don't care who's in Congress. And I'm not saying that doesn't matter, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who it is spiritually because only God can make this change. Right. <coughs> Our problems are fundamentally spiritual. And we've got to be willing to, look to, willing to look to spiritual solutions, and that begins with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Can I remind you of something? Would you agree from what you know of Scripture that Jesus made it clear that he would die and rise again? He did. He said it very clearly, over and over. If Jesus said that and then didn't do it, there's only three possibilities. He was a liar, and he's, that's not worthy of worship, is it? He's a lunatic, and that's not worthy of worship, or... He's Lord. And if he's Lord, you better worship him. See, and that brings us to the third truth. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is universal as a cure. It's unsettling to the carnal. And it is unyielding in its command. Verse 30. Paul has preached this sermon. And here's Paul, so what? Here it is. And the times of this ignorance God winked at. But now, what? Commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Why? Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. So what's his credentials? Wherefore he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from 
the dead. What does Paul say? God commands all men everywhere to repent because God set aside a day that he's going to judge every one of us. And here's how you know that you should believe in Christ. Because God raised him from the dead. And when you are confronted with that truth, whether you believe it or not, when you are confronted with that truth that God raised his son from the dead, you have no choice, no one unavoidable, unavoidable response. You are to repent. In the face of a resurrected Savior, all we can do is repent. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ is proof that God can and will deliver on all his promises. So what? Now I want you to do two things. Number one, if you have things to pack up, go ahead. Go ahead. Because you, you may not think it's, it's much, you know, well, I'm just zipping up my Bible case. But when 40 people are zipping up their Bible case at the same time, it's thunderous. And Baptists especially have a way of being the loudest they possibly can with candy wrappers. So go on and get your cough, drop your candy, do all of it. Whatever you've got to put in your mouth to not have bad breath when you shake hands after church, go on and do it. And yes, it is 11.50. I am wrapping up 10 minutes till it's an Easter miracle. <laughs> For those that are visiting here, this is kind of how we sum up our messages. We ask this question, so what? What am I supposed to do with this? All right, Andy, you managed to preach a message. It was alliterated and all that. Great. Now, what do I do with that? If you're here today, I'm going to sit right here. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, I'm not asking you if you're religious. I'm not asking you what your denomination is, what church you attend, how good a person you think you are, how much money you put in the offering. I'm not asking any of that. I'm asking you, has there been a time that someone gave you the gospel that you understood that I am a sinner, that my sin offends our holy God, disqualifies me from heaven, dooms me to hell. I've been told that, and I know it to be so. But they also explained to me that God can't tolerate sin. He can't overlook it. Sin had to be paid for. And so Jesus stepped forward out of eternity and said, I'll pay for it. I'll go to that cross. And Father, you lay the sins of all mankind on me, and you judge their sin in me. And that's exactly what happened. For six hours, Jesus hung between heaven and earth and paid the price for our sin, suffered our hell for us. He cried out, it is finished. That means the debt's been paid. That means the, the orders have been followed. The masterpiece is completed. It's finished. He committed his spirit to God and he died. They buried him in a tomb for three days. But early that Sunday morning, Jesus walked out of that tomb alive, Amen. having defeated death and hell. And you know what he did? At some point, 
he went into the Holy of Holies in heaven. And there on the mercy seat, there on the mercy seat, he placed his blood. And so now when God looks down, he doesn't see the law that condemns us. He sees the blood that saved us, and he sees the righteousness of his son. If you'll believe. Not if you'll be confirmed, not if you've been baptized, not if you're part of this denomination. No, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And I'm asking you, has there ever been a time understanding that, that you've called upon Jesus Christ to be your Savior, and are you trusting him and him alone for your eternity? If you cannot say yes to that, here's your so what. You have been confronted with the truth that Jesus lives, and there's only one right response. Repent. Turn from your own thinking and your desire to save yourself or your, your view of your sins. or Turn from all of that and turn to Jesus and let him be your Savior today. That is your so what, without question. God brought you here for such a time as this. God in heaven intends. For, it's rare that I make these kind of statements, but I know they're true biblically. God in heaven intends for you to be saved right here, right now. That's what God wants. He wants you to be saved. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I plead with you to meet the resurrected Christ this morning. Say, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. But are you living in resurrection power? Because if you're relying on him fully to save you, you need to rely on him fully to make you into him, into himself too, right? To be conformed to his image. And you know what happens with Christians? When we start focusing on, when we stop focusing on the resurrection and we start drifting into our own ideas and our own efforts and our own ways of doing things and we get our eyes off of the resurrected Christ, that's when things go bad. Right. Your so what is to be reminded that you serve a risen Savior and that he wants to make you more like him every day. And maybe, maybe what that looks like is you come to an altar and you say, Lord, I, I messed up. I, I've drifted from you. I've not been what I should be. But Jesus, I'm getting that glimpse of the resurrected Christ again today, and I'm asking you to change me. I'm asking you to make me more like you. Maybe it's, maybe it's coming and saying, Lord, I, I've not been the soul winner I should be. I've not been as concerned about other, Christian, other sinners as I should be. Lord, I just need you to work in me and make me more like Jesus. Maybe there's something else on your heart. God's speaking to you about it. Your so what today is this. When Mary was at the Cana, at the wedding at Cana, she gave some good advice to the servants regarding Jesus. She said, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. What's he saying to you today? Maybe you're saved. You never trust, you've never followed the Lord and believer's baptism. If he's telling you to do it, do it. Maybe it's time for you to unite with the local church. Do it. Maybe it's, maybe it's time for you to let go of something in your life that shouldn't be there or put something in your life that should be there. 
do it. I don't know what God's doing in your heart, but he does, and you do. So my counsel to you would be this. Obey the resurrected Savior today.